the age of digital communication has likely uh, diminished our uh, appreciation of, of older notions of royal communication. Right? E- even this century, uh, in years, pa- decades past, the monarch would give a, a radio address. Now the, the queen appears on television to, to speak to the people. But, but in a, a bygone era from long ago, heralds and ambassadors served crucial functions in civic life, both on the international stage between leaders and their, and, and between leaders and their people. A sovereign appointed ambassadors as those authorized to, to speak and act on their behalf concerning affairs with other kingdoms. And in that case, ambassadors uh, today still work out of embassies, outposts of their homeland, where they address foreign entities and act on behalf of their ruler. A sovereign appointed heralds to convey messages within their own kingdom, giving them messages that, although spoken with their mouths, were the sovereign's words. And we need to realize that God is not quite as fascinated by our digital capabilities of communication as we are. We've, we've raised the concern we expressed about the, the spirit of, of mysticism, even in the church on several occasions. Uh, the key piece of mysticism is having knowledge apart from Coming, it coming to you through reliable means. Right? The, the epitome of popular mysticism today is, is to play that argumentative trump card, I just know it in my heart. Right? That might culminate uh, the modern mode of obtaining knowledge that is not given to us, but, but spontaneously originates within us somehow. But we have seen the same thing at work in astrology, trying to read signs in the stars, and those who still might try to interpret their tea leaves or, or look for transcendent messages in crop circles and rock formations. See, even more than television speeches where at least we hear from another person, these things all feel like immediate ways of knowing. It doesn't come to us from somewhere else, really. And particularly concerning divine truths. But God remains content today to appoint men to speak on his behalf. Concerning the church's mission to reach the outside nations, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, here comes the action of the ambassador, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, join this true sovereign's nation. Ambassador functions uh, for uh, for preachers to bring 
uh, for preachers, our ambassadorial function is to bring the message that those outside the nation of the church, God's royal nation, bring God's message, our sovereign, that they can be reconciled to him, joined into his kingdom. And moreover, so as we think about preachers as ambassadors, we can think of them also as heralds, the Greek word that appears in our English New Testaments often as preacher was the ancient label for a herald. And so Keru, a Keru was a herald for his sovereign since he proclaimed his king's message. And when the herald spoke in his office, it was the king's word to his people. And so Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1.11, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. And as we continue to think about God's ordinary means of grace, we remember that these means are outward features of, of creaturely life that God has appointed for him to use to apply Christ and his benefits to us. Now these means have varied throughout redemptive history according to whatever covenant God used at the time to relate to his people. But still, throughout every age of redemptive history, God has always used his word as a means of grace. In fact, before the fall, we had no need for grace, properly speaking. Since it is, since grace is God's demerited favor for sinners. And so God, nonetheless, still, before our need for grace, God still spoke to Adam and Eve and used his word to accomplish spiritual and covenantal realities, even for his people before they sinned. Even immediately after the fall, though, God's word went forth again to accomplish spiritual realities in the lives of his people as he spoke to them. And so, in our series on this, on the means of grace, as we turn from thinking about the, those means of grace generally in our previous sermons, kind of in an introductory way, now to thinking about the specific means of grace that God has given to us, in the new covenant, we must account for, for two things as we consider God's word as a means of grace. So the first thing, first thing that we need to consider is that although today God's word comes to us only in scripture, in ages past, God spoke outside scripture as well. Indeed, God's speaking preceded scripture. Because it produced scripture. Right? Many of the prophets are, are receiving and, and proclaiming the messages they received and writing it down. Most pointedly, for our purposes then, God inspired the scripture as his word to serve some more specific purpose than, than merely to provide special revelation. Not that special revelation is, is mere in any sense referring to its importance. Namely, 
Whereas the events of God speaking directly to his people in ages past were extraordinary, he inspired the scripture as an ordinary means of grace for his covenant people today. Now the second thing we need to consider. So first, scripture is here to be an ordinary means of grace for us today. Second, we need thing we need to consider in regard to God's word as a means of grace is that it has a priority to the other means of grace. The sacraments especially. So to, to put that mostly, the sacraments would have no spiritual effect apart from God's word assigning their spiritual value. And so God's word, namely inspired scripture, is the primary means of grace. God's word serves as a means of grace in two forms, though. As it is read and as it is preached. And so we remind ourselves of Westminster Shorter Catechism 88 that the outward and ordinary means of grace whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. And now we can add question 89. How is the word made effectual for salvation? The Spirit of God makes the reading, especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And so then, our main point tonight, as we think about preaching, the word preached, is that Christ speaks in biblical preaching to apply himself and his benefits to us. Christ speaks in biblical preaching to apply himself and his benefits to us. We're going to think about this in three points. Christ preaches today. Christ preaches in the Old Testament, and Christ preaches for you. So first, let's, let's think about how Christ preaches today, and let's turn our attention here to our passage in Ephesians. So we read uh, chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and the main thrust of this whole passage is about the unity of Jew and Gentile Christians in Christ since since believers from all backgrounds are bound together as God's one people, all growing together as God's new covenant temple indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So that's the, the thrust of that whole chunk of verses. Now for our purposes, we're going to focus from this text on, on how Christ accomplishes that reconciliation between God and his people, that unity among Christians, and that increasing sanctification through preaching. So verse 12 uh, indicates that the previous twofold problem of, of being separated from Christ 
and from his covenant people. You see that? You were separated from Christ and were strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. Verse 13 then, But now, in contrast, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, telling us how Christ reconciles us both to God, a problem more thoroughly explained in verses 1 to 10 already, uh, and then reconcile, well, simultaneously reconciles us to other members of his body, of his church. Now the reason that Christ reconciles us is explained in verses 14 to 16. So let's, let's read that together. For he himself is our peace, right? That's why Christ reconciles us to God and one another, because he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, namely one, one new people, <coughs> In place of the two, Jews and Gentiles, right? So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Christ himself is our peace, both, both between God and between one another. And, and then, in a really astounding way, actually, Paul connects this reconciliation to preaching. Verse 17. And, and he, who's the he, right? Christ. And Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Christ himself preached peace to the Ephesians, bringing about this twofold reconciliation. And now, as we, as we focus in on that claim, we need to note two points. Now the first is that it's really significant that Christ preached peace to his church. Have you caught it so far in the service already? Our call to worship, Psalm 85.8, we sang it. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he, God, will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. So Paul's point that Christ preaches peace, actually as he says to his saints, to his church, is a fairly direct, albeit implicit, assertion of Christ's deity. He is the God who speaks peace to his saints. Christ is God who brings reconciliation and so then speaks peace to his saints. Here in Ephesians, in order that they might not return to the folly of disunity, 
within the church. So there's our first. It's just a theological point about what's going on as Christ speaks peace. Second, if you think carefully, there's actually a tension that needs resolution in this passage where, wherein Paul said that Christ preached to you, referring to the Ephesians. Right? But, but the Gospels never record Christ going to Ephesus. So then how did Christ preach personally to the Ephesians? Well, Christ preaches through his duly appointed preachers in the church. As Paul and other pastors went into churches, Christ himself preaches through his ministers. Second Helvetic Confession 1-4 says, When this God's word is now preached through legitimately called preachers, we believe that God's very word is proclaimed and received by believers. So the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. And so we see that Christ preaches today by speaking through his ordained pastors, making preaching an address from Christ himself to his people. And that probably conveys why this act right now is a means of grace. And it brings us to our second point. Christ preached in the Old Testament. Christ preached in the Old Testament. So we, we've thought about how Christ preaches today by speaking through his ministers as they open God's word. Of course, it has to be biblical preaching to address his people. The point, so this point is, is just trying to expand that argument already by confirming it in regard to one, we have a, we have a pretty clear example if we if we trace what's happening in First Peter three, but also it shows not only the point itself but also how it was true in the Old Testament that Christ still spoke during the Old Testament period in his role as the one Savior of all God's people throughout the one covenant of grace. And so, really, this this point is not long. But really, just what we're going to do is walk through 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 20. We're going to read it, and I'm going to kind of put extra explanatory points in as we go. <clears throat> so let's turn our attention here. Right. Peter wrote, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so, so far... So far, we simply have the same ground of reconciliation with God, just like we saw in Ephesians 2, right? It's the same principle so far. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, put a capital S on that Spirit, as in Holy Spirit. And then now here, let's, 
Let's think closely. So, made alive by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, in which, so in whom, he's a person, in whom, referring to the Spirit, he, now we're back to Christ. I know that this is, we're just reading carefully. I know it's kind of tedious, but we're trying to get the feel of what's going on. So Christ is still the subject of this sentence as he suffered, was put to death, made alive, and by the Spirit, now he went and proclaimed or preached to the spirits in prison, namely people imprisoned in their sin, as we, as we studied in Galatians, that people who are, people are enslaved under the law until they come to faith, as we have explained, because they did not obey. And now note the timing. Peter tells us exactly when, when this happened. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Telling us, right, that brings us to a very specific point in time and a very specific place telling us that Noah was the minister through whom Christ preached by the power of the Spirit. In which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. So now Peter's going to go on and make an important, make an important point about baptism that we'll, we'll need to return to in later sermons. But nonetheless here, Peter's argument is that reconciliation between God and sinners has always happened. Always happened as Christ preaches through his duly appointed pastors. And we can now add that this happens in the Spirit, by whom Christ preaches through others. So Christ preaches in the Old Testament, confirming that Christ's, confirming that preaching has always been effective by Christ's own strength, making the preacher's words his own address to his people. So that's just to confirm what we've said so far. And now we come to our final point, that Christ preaches for you. I'm conscious this has been dense so far and that the time has probably come to pause and reflect. We began by just thinking about how God works through heralds and ambassadors and, and that is how preachers function in God's plan to reach the world today as heralds and ambassadors. In the first two points, just looked at two passages to show how preaching is a means of grace. The primary one, because Christ is ultimately the one preaching when ordained pastors explain and apply God's word in Christian worship. And I think that 
here, there are two ways that we ought to reflect upon this means of grace theme of God's word preached for our encouragement. First, the first one is a little bit wider in that we find encouragement knowing that preaching as a means of grace shows that the church has always been dependent upon Christ's grace for its prosperity. Now, this dependence should be a great encouragement for us rather than remind us of some sort of obstacle before us. I think so so many times we say and we're dependent on on grace as if that means we should be afraid of what's coming, perhaps suggesting more so than the things we've done in the past. As a congregation or as the church, holistically speaking. But we we should think of this as encouragement. Because always, at least since the days of Noah, if not before, the church has always grown because Christ spoke to his people through preachers. And that that continual dependence upon grace reminds us that actually it's not just that we have to we have to depend upon Christ to be good to us, it's that Christ has always been good to his people. Our need for grace in preaching is not new, but was true at least since Noah, and we can readily gather even before that. And the payoff is that, as shocking as it might be, the church is still here. Thankfully, thankfully the church's success is not dependent on the skill and personality of any given pastor, but on Christ keeping his promises to give us grace and not let the gates of hell prevail against us. And so take heart that the church is still here. The, the only explanation, if you look for, at church history for like five seconds, the only explanation for why we're still here is that Christ is risen and has kept his promise to be good to his church and to speak to us through his word preached. And a second, I mean, yeah, the, the idea there was, was just to shake off a, a skepticism about what might happen to the church in our age and as we go forward. But let's think second now, more specifically for each of you, personally. This, this view of preaching should, should make a profound point about Christ's love for you, individually. We probably all know uh, that distinction between friends of the road 
and friends of the heart. Right? Those whom we know while we're specifically next to them and they're good while we're together, but we'll lose contact. And on the other hand, those whom we know and love no matter where in the world we are. And we have to reckon today in our context, don't we, with, with Christ's ascension. Namely, he isn't bodily present here on earth. But, as he is away from us, Christ is not content to be merely a friend of the road to you. He is not satisfied to leave us lonely without him. I know, I am consciously aware that it is a gigantic claim to say that Christ preaches through preachers, particularly as I stand here as a preacher. But the point, the point is not about the importance or the authority of the preacher. The point is about how Christ cares so much for you that he made it so that his voice comes through to you through radically imperfect, sinful men whom he has appointed. The point is that Christ himself despite his distance, spatially speaking, wants to speak to you. To you. And so his voice rings through the voice of your pastors, making the word sharp, even in its original meaning, to come home as his living word, Today, to build up his people so that you might know him. So that you might know that he is near to you. And know that he wants you to hear his voice. Let's pray. Father God, we are glad that we have a Savior who delights to be near to his people. We are glad that despite the ascension by which we have Christ's intercession before your throne, his perfect sacrifice accepted and applied before the altar of heaven, despite his ascension, we have his presence as he speaks through preaching. And your word is a means of grace to apply Christ and his benefits to us. Help us to know his nearness now. Help us know that the fact that he speaks peace to us means that we're reconciled to you and to one another. Warm our hearts by Christ's care for us here and now. 
And that just across the centuries, the millennia, Christ the Savior has preached to his saints. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.